This is RCT number 31, The Two Judgments. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. We are in pages 83 to 87 today. This is the Creed, Article 7, Section A. God give you his peace, in nomine patris et et spiritus sancti. Amen. O heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls, O good one. In nomine patris et et spiritus sancti. Amen. The Creed states, From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. The meaning of this article, according to the Roman Catechism of Trent, again the only infallible catechism in the Church, it reads thus, For the glory and adornment of his Church, Jesus Christ is invested with three eminent offices and functions, those of Redeemer, Mediator, and Judge. Since in the preceding articles it was shown that the human race was redeemed by his passion and death, and since by his ascension into heaven it is manifest that he has undertaken the perpetual advocacy and patronage of our cause, it remains that in this article we set forth his character as judge. The scope and intent of this article is to declare that on the last day Christ the Lord will judge the whole human race. From thence he shall come. The sacred scriptures inform us that there are two comings of the Son of God, the one when he assumed human flesh for our salvation in the womb of a virgin, the other when he shall come at the end of the world to judge all mankind. This latter coming is called, in Scripture, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, says the Apostle, shall come as a thief in the night, see Thessalonians 5.2, and our Lord himself says, on that day and hour no one knoweth, see Matthew 24 and Mark 13. The next section, to judge the living and the dead. In proof of the last judgment, it is enough to adduce the authority of the Apostle. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the proper things of the body according as he hath done, whether it be good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 There are numerous passages of sacred scripture which the pastor will find in various places and which not only establish the truth of the dogma, but also place it in vivid colors before the eyes of the faithful. And if from the beginning of the world, that day of the Lord, on which he was clothed with our flesh, was sighed for by all as the foundation of their hope for deliverance, so also after the death and ascension of the Son of God, we should make that other day of the Lord the object of our most earnest desires. Looking for the blessed hope and coming of the glory of the great God, Titus 2.13. Me here. You know, I notice most religious Americans, they judge others, especially the faithful departed, based on their own emotions to them. So if I liked this person, this person must be saved. And if I hated this person, that person must be in hell. And now most people come to these conclusions simply based on how that deceased person treated them in life. Now notice two problems here. The first is obvious. You're not allowed to judge people. Problem is when you judge people in heaven, that's actually also not charitable because then you stop praying for them and we're called to pray for the faithful departed. And then the second problem is obviously basing your judgment on emotions. Notice you and I are not going to be judged by God himself based on our emotions. We're going to be based on what we did in the body. That was just quoted by the Roman Catechism, quoting the Bible itself. It said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the proper things of the body according as he hath done, whether it be good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 
So notice again, you're going to be judged by what you did in the body, not the intentions of your heart. Let me say that again. You will be judged by what you did in the body, not by the intentions of your heart. That's the Bible, not me. Okay, and the catechism again, the two judgments. In explaining the subject, the pastor should distinguish two different occasions on which everyone must appear in the presence of the Lord to render an account of all his thoughts, words, and actions, and to receive immediate sentence from his judge. The first takes place when each one of us departs this life, for then he is instantly placed before the judgment seat of God, where all that he has ever done, or spoken, or thought during life shall be subjected to the most rigid scrutiny. This is called the particular judgment. The second occurs when on the same day, and it means the same day as everyone else, not the same day as a particular judgment. The second occurs when on the same day and in the same place, all men shall stand together before the tribunal of their judge, that in the presence and hearing of all human beings, of all times, each may know his final doom and sentence. The announcement of this judgment will constitute no small part of the pain and punishment of the wicked, whereas the good and just will derive great reward and consolation from the fact that it will then appear what each one was in life. This is called the general judgment. Me again. So notice your judgment as if you get heaven or hell. Heaven, usually including some purgatory time, but your judgment that you will get is heaven or hell that will be the same at the general judgment at the end of all time as it was originally at your particular judgment at the moment of death, unless you're on earth when Christ returns in glory, and in, and in that case, it'll be one and the same. So again, your judgment as heaven or hell will be the same as the gen both at the general judgment as it was originally at your particular judgment, which if you're listening to this video, is has not yet happened yet. Um, but at the general judgment, I think, this is, if I understand correctly from what the catechism said, you're going to see how everyone else's decisions played into your life. You're also going to get that at the particular judgment, but I think in a new way, you're going to see how, how everyone saved or condemned, how all their actions play into your life, but also how every decision you made played into the lives of billions of saved or condemned people at that time. We're going to see this butterfly effect, effect that every decision you made played into billions of people's lives uh, even the decisions you made in secret, because God will crown all of those secret sacrifices that you've made for souls, um, but every secret sin will also be seen. Now, notice, of course, if you're saved, uh, once you finish purgatory, you get the beatific vision before the general judgment. This really doesn't have to be explained, because the church, right after John the 22nd, I'm going to talk about him in a second, made this pronouncement very clear. I don't know really why or if there was a lot of debate in the 14th century, but Pope John XXII, he was a bad but valid Pope in the 14th century. He had this weird idea, but it was a private idea, keep this in mind. He had a private idea that the elect got the beatific vision only after the general judgment. But it's so important to notice he never taught that to the whole church. That way we can't say a heretic can be a valid Pope. Let me put it in the in the definitive way here. A manifest obstinate heretic cannot be a valid pope of the Catholic Church. Pope John XXII had a tiny error, personally, that he never taught to the whole church on today's topic. He kept this error to himself. Still, he got hammered by theologians. He repented of it on his deathbed. But he was not a public heretic, hence he was a valid pope. But the main thing I want you to capture, catch here 
is that he never taught this tiny little error of his own to the whole church. Again, you cannot have a manifest obstinate person be a valid pope of the Catholic Church. This is Christ's promise in Matthew 16. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas says the gates of hell in Matthew 16, Christ's promise to St. Peter and the papacy is you can't have heresy in the papacy. And I hold entirely to that promise. Okay, catechism again, reasons for the general judgment. It is necessary to show why, besides the particular judgment of each individual, a general one should also be passed upon all men. Those who depart this life sometimes leave behind them children who imitate their conduct, dependents, followers, and others who admire and advocate their example, language, and actions. Now, by all these circumstances, the rewards or punishments of the dead must be increased, since the good or bad influence of example, affecting as it does the con conduct of many, is to terminate only with the end of the world. Justice demands that in order to form a proper estimate of all these good or bad actions and words and thoughts, a thorough investigation should be made. This, however, could not be made without a general judgment of all men. Me again. So notice, this seems to me to be saying that your rewards in heaven or your punishments in hell, this is going to depend partly on what your spiritual or biological children do. Now, obviously they have free will. You're not going to answer or be rewarded for everything that they do. Um, but again, your punishments in hell will increase based on what your spiritual or biological children are still doing on earth, at least for the things that you're responsible, either by action or inaction. That's important to remember. We have merit that is both by commission. Uh, I guess there's no merit based on omission, but there's sin based on both um, commission and omission. And so your glory in heaven is going to keep redounding to higher levels, apparently, based on the good example you left your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and everything else, or your pain in hell will increase because our example reverberates through all of space and time forever. And then all of this gets crowned at the general judgment in a new way. So I say all of this, one, because it's in the catechism, two, because it's in the Bible, uh, three, because it's real. I guess that's the first reason I should name there. Um, but fourth, it's not to scare people. It's just to, to make you realize like what you do matters. And that actually should make you glorify God for his love of you. I think a lot of times, especially since COVID with all these lockdowns, a lot of us feel um, a very minimal motivation. Like what am I even doing on earth? Um, but what we see in today's catechism is, wow, God really cares about what you do. And he doesn't just care about you. We always hear that. God loves you. He loves you infinitely. Yes. But he also cares intensely and infinitely what you do. Um, so we want to please him, right? Okay. And the catechism again. Moreover, as the character of the virtuous frequently suffers from misrepresentation while that of the wicked obtains the commendation of virtue, the justice of God demands that the former recover in the public assembly and judgment of all men the good name of which they had been unjustly deprived before men. Again, as the just and the wicked perform their good and evil actions in this life, not without the cooperation of the body, it necessarily follows that these actions belong also to the body as to their instrument. It was therefore altogether suitable that the body should share with the soul the due rewards of eternal glory or punishment. 
but this can only be accomplished by means of a general resurrection and of a general judgment. Me again. So notice right here that because many of you have lost your reputations in the public forum, do it be it due to your beliefs or simply in family situations or the whole lockdowns, whatever it is, because this was public and because people had to use their physical bodies, whether they were speaking lies about you or using their fingers to be keyboard warriors against you or whatever else, if you lost your reputation, that did affect you in your body and it was done to you by other people's bodies. This is why uh, there has to be a public um, giving back reparation of names. And why is the body important? Because at the particular judgment, it's just going to be your soul judge. At the general judgment, this is when everyone in heaven gets their body back and everyone in hell gets their body back also. Everyone in heaven gets their body back, everyone in hell gets their body back. And so for some reason, the catechism wanted to put a special emphasis right here on sins against the eighth commandment that you will be justified if you make it to heaven and people lied about you on earth, whether it be, again, lockdowns or your traditional Catholic faith or whatever else, then um, you will be glorified in your body and the people that lied about you will be shamed in the body, whether it be through their little fingers tapping the keyboard or the, or the mouth, the tongue that spoke lies about you. Or put this in the reverse. Maybe you're the one lying about people. This should uh, speak some fear into you, fear of God, so that we really be very careful about all of our words. Because it's not just our souls that are going to be affected by sins against the Eighth Commandment. We just learned it's also going to be the body. So if you're lied about on earth, uh, you're going to get your name back uh, in a much bigger way in the next life. For we just heard, this is right from the Catechism, moreover, as the character of the virtuous frequently suffers from misrepresentation while that of the wicked obtains the commendation of virtue, the justice of God demand that the former recover in the public assembly and judgment of all men the good name of which they had been unjustly deprived before men. And then we just learned also that all of the things you say includes the cooperation of the body. Therefore, the catechism said, it necessarily follows that these, action, these actions belong also to the body as to their instrument. And this is again why we heard earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, every man and woman will receive the due that they deserve from God for the deeds they did in the body. That's me paraphrasing it. Okay, the catechism again. Next, it is important to prove that in prosperity and adversity, which are sometimes the promiscuous lot of the good and of the bad, everything is done and ordered by an all-wise and all-just providence. It was therefore necessary not only that rewards should await the just and punishments the wicked in the life to come, but that they should be awarded by a public and general judgment. Thus, they will become better known and will be rendered more conspicuous to all, and an atonement for the unwarranted murmurings, to which on seeing the wicked abound in wealth and flourish and honors even the saints themselves, as men have sometimes given expression a tribute of praise, will be offered by all to the justice and providence of God. Psalm 72 reads, My feet, says the prophet, were almost moved. My steps had well nigh slipped, because I had a zeal on occasion of the wicked, Seeing the prosperity of sinners and a little after, behold, these are sinners, and yet abounding in the world they have obtained riches. And I said, Then have I in vain justified my heart 
and wash my hands among the innocent, and I have been scourged all the day, and my chastisement hath been in the morning. The Catechism continues, This has been the frequent complaint of many, and a general judgment is therefore necessary, lest perhaps men may be tempted to say that God walketh about the poles of heaven, Job 22.14, and regards not the earth. Me again here really quickly. Basically what this is saying is even the psalmist, presumably King David, was tempted to look around and say, good, have really hard lives. And then Job right there, that I don't know exactly the translation because I don't read the Dewey Reams a lot, but God walketh around the poles of heaven and regards not the earth. Kind of this idea that uh, God is in heaven, but he just kind of leaves us alone. It's the deistic idea of, of heaven. And of course, that's not um, Job speaking in the inspired scripture saying, this is a temptation of every man to say, God seems very concerned about the things in heaven, but not on earth. Well, the general judgment is one of the millions of promises God gives us through the Catholic faith to say, oh yes, God is very, very concerned about what happens on earth. And where it might seem the wicked prosper here on earth, don't worry, everyone's going to have their comeuppings and we're going to see it in some sense in your particular judgment, but we're going to see everybody almost like this 4D matrix download into your brain at the general judgment. And the catechism again, this truth has rightly been made an article of the creed. Wisely, therefore, has this truth been made one of the 12 articles of the Christian creed so that should any begin to waver in mind concerning the providence and justice of God, they might be reassured by this doctrine. Besides, it was right that the just should be encouraged by the hope, the wicked appalled by the terror, of a future judgment. So that knowing the justice of God, the former should not be disheartened, while the latter, through fear and expectation of eternal punishment, might be recalled from the paths of vice." Me again, really quickly here. So notice we are not Calvinists who believe in double predestination where God winds some people up for heaven and he purposely, from the moment of their conception, winds others up for hell. Notice that we look to the general judgment because our fate is in our own hands to cooperate with, cooperate with grace or not. And this is why we just heard that the meditation on the general judgment is to help the just be filled with hope that there's going to be gifts given back to them if they've suffered for Christ. It doesn't mean that they're guaranteed salvation until they have final perseverance. But it's also to awaken some terror, some fear in people who are living bad lives. It doesn't mean those bad, that those bad people are going to end up in hell. In fact, bad people meditating on the general judgment that not only God, but every single person will see all their embarrassing and hidden sins, all their public sins, all their private sins, that has probably converted a few people in 2,000 years. Maybe not a lot, but it's probably converted a few people. And so meditation or study of the general judgment um, is for our salvation. And the last section of the catechism today reads, Hence, speaking of the last day, our Lord and Savior declares that a general judgment will one day take place. And he describes the signs of its approach that seeing them, we may know that the end of the world is at hand. See Matthew 24. At his ascension also, to console his apostles, overwhelmed with grief at his departure, he sent angels who said to them, This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven shall so come as you have seen him going into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 11. And then me again for the last time today. 
You know, it should really be enough, of course, that God himself sees your every action and every word and every thought. But if that's not enough, kind of like I alluded to in the last section, remember that every angel and every demon, every saved person and every condemned person will at one point know all of your secret actions, all of your secret words, and all of your secret thoughts. Now, granted, there is some debate among the old school traditional theologians on if this also includes sins that you have confessed in the confessional to a priest. I personally fall on the side of this theological debate to hold that the sins that you have confessed, since these sins are forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus, um, that if they are visible at the general judgment and beyond, they will only be perhaps scars of glory for the glorification of God's love and mercy so that all can see somehow, maybe in a specific way, maybe just in a general way, you were forgiven these serious sins. I don't think they will be for shame, especially not for the elect. So we're talking about the people that are saved, what's going to happen to the sins that they confessed in the, in the sacrament of confession. No one is going to be saying in heaven, yeah, you were saved, but uh, you still have this, 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 and this on your soul. No, that's not going to how it's going to be. It's either going to be wiped away, invisible, or there's going to be some sense of glory that everyone's going to look and be like, wow, you were forgiven a lot of sins. God must really love you a lot because your entire soul and body here in heaven redounds to the glory of God and especially his mercy. And I think something along those lines is the majority opinion among theologians, but I'm not sure. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio de potentis, patris et fidei, et spiritus santi, descendit super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.